Well, today we're going to talk about family. This is another worldview that is under attack. All you have to do is watch the news or watch television, and you can see that the family is under attack. The definition of family has changed. I did some research this week on, this is my research only because it seemed to fit well with the sermon. Um, much of what we know about our world is gleaned through television. So I wanted to trace from about the 1950s up till today and look at how the definition of family has changed. I'll show you a brief clip. And some of you may instantly pick up on this. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> and Jane White. That was in the 50s. Um, and, and researching, one of the questions I ask is, does television influence the culture, or does the culture influence television? And again, I spent several hours researching. Uh, one of the first shows that came on the American landscape in the mid-50s in that ballpark was Father Knows Best, where you had the traditional husband, wife, and you had the children. As we move into the 60s, there's another show called Hazel, in which now they've gone from two or three kids down to one child, and you've had, so you still have that nuclear family that is in place into the 60s. Uh, Hazel went off the air in 1965. But there was also a show called uh, The Courtship of Eddie's Father, which came out in 1969. That was where a single parent uh, had a child. His, his wife had died and uh, one child with that. But as we move into the 70s, actually, uh, you all know the, the creator of this, Sherwood Schwartz. Uh, actually, this came out in the 70s, but it was conceived in the 1960s. A lot of people don't know that. So what you have is uh, a husband and wife that have two separate sets of children that they are now bringing in under the umbrella of a family. So what we're starting to see now between the 50s and the late 60s is a shift in the way that culture perceives family. Sherwood Schwartz actually thought of the uh, Brady Bunch in 1965 when he read an article from the LA Times which said 30% of all homes in America have blended families, which was quite staggering because many of us think, well, the shakeup didn't come till the 1980s. But actually, the underpinnings of everything that we see taking place in our culture today has its roots in about 1970. And then by, uh, I'm gonna, some of you may know this show, you all know the Brady Bunch. Here's a story of, yeah, anyway. Uh, so if you want to sing it, go ahead in your head, just listen to the sermon. But uh, then there was another show in the 70s, One Day at a Time. Now we're introducing divorce into the equation. So what happens, and I, as I researched this, I was kind of shocked. The biggest change 
that happened in America as far as the family is not today. It was the 1970s. So the question is, does television influence the culture or does the culture influence the television, uh, the television shows? And, and what I've come to the conclusion, you can come to any conclusion you want, but what I learned this week about the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, all the way into today, is that it is the culture that influences television more than anything. So when you look at television today, and you see all the television shows, that is a mirror of the culture in which we live. Today we live in a very angry culture. Therefore, television is now showing angry television shows, where there's more violence than there used to be. So I, I, I found it fascinating this, this week as I studied, but as believers, as believers, we have a totally different perspective on, on family. I bet you if any of, if I polled anybody in this room, you would think we should be living the 1950s father knows best. And that makes us out of step with the culture. Because the culture now accepts anything. You can have two men uh, married with, uh, with kids. You can have two women. I mean, the, they, they, they run the gamut. And the underpinnings of all of this, I believe, started in the early 70s and has give, given birth to where we are today. So people say, well, the, the culture today is, is, is bad. No, the underpinnings of that started in the 70s. And of course, uh, which I'm not against the women's movement, I think uh, women should have all the rights that men do, but there was also the influence of the advancement of the, of the women's movement in which uh, divorce really started playing havoc in our culture around the late 60s into 70s, and women were trying to find themselves. And uh, we're, Audrey and I are both products of a family of divorce. That came in the 1970s. And so now today, uh, today it's very, very different culture. But what I've come to realize is that culture actually is the influencer and the driver of television. When I went in, I thought television was the driver of the culture. But think of it this way. If a producer or somebody looks at what's taking place in the culture and he is doing something over here that is different than the culture, he's not going to make money on that film. He has to look at what the culture is doing and go, you know what, this show would be great. And what's happening is that the the, the culture has, has shifted, and, and now, and I don't think we're ever going to go back. And I think it's easy for the church to get sucked in and forget that one of the Christian worldviews that we have is that marriage is one man, one woman for life. That's really the only biblical mandate. I realize that divorce happens. And I realize that there are biblical reasons for divorce, but ultimately God's desire is for one man, one woman for life. And uh, I can speak personally to this. Uh, my dad left us when I was uh, eight years old, was not really much in the, in the picture. Uh, we struggled 
as a, a, a family. I, I don't mind saying this. My mom made just too much money to get on food stamps. So we really struggled. I remember my Uncle Bob bringing food over, my grandmother bringing food over, all because the culture said at the time, it's okay. You can walk out and abandon your family. As Christians, we must have a different view. We must have a different view. So I want to take us back to Genesis, and then we're going to go to Ephesians. Uh, trust me, I'll get us out of here on time today. Uh, but I felt like that introduction needed to be brought forth. So if we look at Genesis 2.24, we see that God created marriage. Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. So, therefore, in Scripture, always points to something that went before it. So let's kind of read this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed, it, closed its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. So one of the first, the earliest surgeries in history was performed on Adam. When he was asleep, God opened it up, took a rib, and then created woman. This word leave, azav, leave. It, it has four different meanings in the Hebrew language. It can mean to abandon, where if you read it this way, uh, the man shall abandon his father and mother. Actually, in Jewish culture, uh, the father of the household still had sway over the children even when they were married. But he says here, the man shall leave. Abandon, it can mean to desert. That means you just completely walk away. It can mean to forsake. But here, the word means to depart. In the sense of forming a new unit. Because in Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. So, uh, in a sense in which the man and the woman are forming a brand new nuclear family. And see, that goes against our culture today, where pretty much anything goes. And as Christians, we understand that the man shall leave the father and the mother. K.A. Matthews makes an interesting observation. The significance of the language leave is that the marriage involves a new pledge to a spouse in which the former familiar com uh, commitments are suspended. Marriage requires a new priority by marital partners where obligations to one spouse supplants a person's parental loyalties. In other words, in the Genesis account, when God created woman, he created man, he put them together, he, he envisioned a nuclear family that would be new and moving forward helping to promote growth upon the earth. There's nothing in here about divorce or separation. And the Bible says, he goes on to say here, Moses does, and hold fast to his wife. Devak is the Hebrew word for hold fast. It's one word, two words in our English, hold fast. 
it can mean to cling to, which I, I like that translation uh, and could fit here. It means to, or to stay close or to catch up. <laughs> Hold fast, meaning you're, you're trying to catch up with somebody. That doesn't obviously fit here. But here refers to be, be united. To be united. So what we have here is at the beginning of Genesis, after the creation of the world and the creation of man and woman, God puts these two together, and the husband is to take the initiative in the relationship. He makes the first step and then stays close to his wife. It doesn't mean that he has to dishonor his family. doesn't mean that he has to desert them. But what it does mean is there is a brand new family, a nuclear family in the world. And I use the word nuclear simply because it is foundational to our society. So when we think about our culture and we think about what is transpiring in our culture, it should not shock us that television is now influenced by what is taking place in our culture. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. That's something that we teach our kids all the time. There's some television shows that believers should absolutely not be watching. My, myself, I, I usually come home for lunch and I watch one news show, and then in the evening, believe it or not, we've been watching Hazel and started Father Knows Best because most of the stuff is just, uh, it's garbage that's on television today. But that garbage inspired was inspired by our culture. Anyway, hold fast, be united. Kurt Strasser quotes, and I love this by Matthew Henry, uh, Kurt Strasser, he quotes this. I, I love this. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of the head to rule over her, nor of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near to his heart to be beloved. That was a very famous quote, by, by the way. Um, one of the things, as we look back, and as I've watched uh, some of these earlier shows, the man was the authority in the home. And I believe not only has the culture lost that, but in a lot of ways, the church has lost that. Where women are taking charge of the home, and I'm not saying they don't have influence, and we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But ultimately, God wants man to be the authority in the home as the marriage unfolds. Now, this is a wrongly interpreted scripture that we're getting ready to talk about. One flesh. I, I think it's been really wrongfully translated. And, and we read this, and they shall become one flesh. In the Greek, the word flesh is sarx, which refers to the human body. Here the issue is, and they shall become one flesh. The Hebrew word is nephesh, nephesh. And that means kin. 
or blood relation. So they, now I want you to understand what's happening here. God at the beginning of Genesis is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to make not your father and your mother your priority, but what I want you to do is to establish a brand new family unit, which will be bloodlines, which will be blood related. So, and I, this is an interesting they shall become. This has been so butchered. Um, and, and I used to butcher it years, years ago when I was a young pastor. They shall become. Haya is the word there meaning to possess certain characteristics, whether inherent or transitory. Now what that fancy word means here for us, shall become, there are two translations. One is a progressive translation, and let me give you an example of this. Oh, you start out when you're young, right? Start out with your young, you're all excited, marriage is, is, is wonderful, and uh, you're not really one flesh at that point. The progressive view says that, well, you become married, and then as time goes along, as you get older and you experience all the things of life, eventually, eventually, you reach a state where you're reading your Bible all the time. <laughs> you reach a state where you will become one. So the progressive view is this. You're first married, you're not really one flesh. It's only as time progresses and you learn to love each other in all kinds of different ways and eventually at some point in the process, you become one. That is a misunderstanding of becoming one flesh. They shall become one flesh. This is instantaneous. In God's eyes, when two people marry, they have become one flesh. It's not, you, you, may, you, you may think, well, that, that's, that's not right. Well, yes, it is. Because God, in God's economy, you are forming a brand new unit. It has to be new at that point, And also, you have to become one flesh at that point. As you grow, you may learn to love your partner here and there. And, and you get closer together and you can finish each other's sentences. That's not what it means to become one flesh. At the moment, when I, when I marry people and I, I, have, I have them repeat their vows by the authority vested in me by the state of Illinois and by God, I now pronounce you one flesh. It happens instantaneously. It's not something that, that, that comes about through trial and error, through all kinds of... Uh, and the word biblical press said, said this, the Hebrew word before refers more than just a physical union. When they unite in marriage, absolutely, the man and woman bring into being a new family. Hayat Lamad, which means become one flesh. The phrase one flesh occurs only here and must be interpreted in light of verse 23. There the man declares that the woman is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. To be one's bone and flesh, totally agree with this, it is to be related by blood to someone. Think about, for a moment, genealogy. 
quite fascinating in, in my family, and I don't know if it's maybe in your family too, but on the Fraser side, there seems to be a bunch of preachers. Uh, many of you have heard this story, uh, Reverend George Fraser, who's buried over in um, uh, Villa Grove, is related to me. He's my first cousin, right? My first cousin, four, four times removed. He was, he was in the Civil War, he was a, bugle and, uh, uh, a bugler in the Civil War, wound up being a circuit preacher, and he preached right here in Tolono. There are no other Frasers in this area that I know of. And then there was one that was called the Barefoot Preacher, which I, I could try that one of these times. I could try that, go preaching barefoot. We had a lot of preachers, and it just seems like every other generation, there is a new Fraser preacher, which you would have thought the world would have gotten rid of us by now, but they didn't. Um, when we talk about the bloodlines, we're, we're talking about a family tree. This is what God had set in place. So to become one flesh happens at the moment there is a new union before God. Which means that we take that union very seriously. Marriage is not something to be entered into unadvisedly or quickly, and that's why I do counseling sessions for couples that get married. They have to attend seven counseling sessions. That's why I don't do many weddings. I've probably done in 33, now 34, I keep, got to change that number, got to update, got to update that on my website. Uh, in 34 years, I've probably, probably performed 15 to 17 weddings. What I'm finding is people don't want to meet the standards. I had a previous woman from this church call me, was a member of this church, who's no longer a member, called me and asked if I could marry their, their niece and nephew and they were living together. I said, absolutely not. And this person got mad at me, but I said, I'm sorry. I can't do that. I had a church in Youngstown, Ohio. A guy called me and said, I'm home on leave. I want to get married. Can you do it this weekend? I said, absolutely not. He said, why? And I said, because it sounds like you just came home, want to get married, and then you're leaving. He said, I'm a, I'm a member of that church. And I said, that's funny. I haven't seen you in three years. So I don't do a lot of weddings. I'm not trying to discourage, but I, I, it, it should be taken seriously. And a lot of pastors do not do that anymore. And when I see this shall become one flesh, the reality is that the man and the woman become a new unit under God, and therefore, as a minister, I have to take that seriously. I can't just let that stuff go and just say, okay, I mean, I've done a, a remarriage commitment, uh, they were already married, but I, they wanted a, a church wedding, and I didn't have a problem doing that because they were already married. That was Gregory. And the, uh, the Marine. They had already gotten married. He got deployed, had to come back. He wanted a, a church wedding, and I said, not a problem. Anyway, 
This is what, what God is establishing here, a line in which you are developing relatives based on an initial moment when the one husband and wife become one. All right, let's, uh, I've beat that horse enough. Let's, let's move on to a familiar text. This is in Ephesians 5, 22 to 27. So we've had the foundation that the husband shall leave his wife and his mother. He shall be joined to his wife in, in union and that shall separate that shall become a brand new family unit now i'm going to talk to wives first and then i'm going to talk to husbands as we look at uh, god created marriage and i really think because christ is mentioned here twice in in this i really believe that marriage was really to reflect the holiness of god it isn't just about, oh, he's so cute, and I love him so much. That's, that's what Audrey said about me. <laughs> and, you know, physical attraction is part of it, obviously. But um, I think marriage, at its core, is indicative of God's relationship, not only to the nation of Israel, but also our relationship to Christ. Isn't Christ our groom? Right? There's, there's a marriage. Dr. Haney, years ago when I was in Bible college, he stopped me in class one day and he said, Michael, I want you to start thinking of a covenant relationship. When, when you talk about salvation, think about covenant relationship because we are entering in a covenant with, with Christ. So let's talk to the ladies. Ladies, please do not send me any angry phone calls, whatever. But um, wives, this is in, and I'm only going to do, I'm only going to do one verse for the wives, one verse for the husbands, and then we'll get to Sunday school and we'll get our donut. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, if you look at the original manuscript, submit is not in the original Greek language. Translators came along and they added the word because it basically means the same thing. Hupotasso is the word submit. Now, here's the issue with the word submit. It can either be a passive imperative, and I know I'm speaking Greek to you, but that's fine. You'll, you'll see where I'm going with this. It can either be a passive imperative, and in the Greek language means that you must. You have absolutely no choice. It is demanded and commanded by God that you submit to your husband. That's one interpretation. The second interpretation, which I think is correct, is passive middle voice. The passive middle voice is this, that I will do it voluntarily. You see, the one, the one serves the husband because she has to. One does it because she wants to. There's, there's a big shift there. One does it no matter what the husband does, I'm forced to obey. 
I'm forced to do it by God. He doesn't care about my feelings. And the middle voice says, wait a minute, I'm going to do this voluntarily. And that, that is the better translation. Kudios, as to the Lord. So, wives, the quickest way to determine how your relationship is with the Lord is to look at your relationship with your husband. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. There's a mirroring effect here. Let me throw this out to you. And by the word, by the way, hupotasso, the Greek word means subordinate, not bondage. It doesn't mean that your husband can do whatever he wants to do, and you have to be okay with it. But I will suggest this. If you can't be subordinate to a husband, you can see. How can you be subordinate to a Lord you can't see? There's a, there's a huge difference. If I am forced to do something, it is not going to stem from love. It's going to stem from fear. But if I say, you know what? I submit to the Lord voluntarily. By the way, so does the church. If I submit to the, to the Lord voluntarily, then I'm going to submit to my husband voluntarily. And that's part of the issue here. He doesn't throw it. He, he could have said, wives, submit to your husband with no reference to the Lord. But he says, as to the Lord. So in other words, as you are submitting to your husband, as you are being subordinate to your husband, that means coming under the authority of the husband. You do that in a loving, voluntary display, just like you would with the Lord. So if you want to know how well you are doing in your relationship to the Lord, look no further than what sits across from you at breakfast every morning. Dr. Cook said this in class one day, and it's always stuck with me. You are no better a Christian than what you are in the dark. It has resonated with me for years. And I'm talking, that's been 20. 27, 28 years ago. These things are important. He could have just said, wives, submit to your husbands and moved on. But he says, as the Lord. If you want to check spiritually where you are, look no further than your husband. If you're combative with your husband, with your, if you're combative all the time, you want to pick, fight, whatever, then that's a reflection of your relationship to Christ. Because guess what? Marriage was the first foundational of God's plan. And it should be one in which, that look, marriage is supposed to be a loving relationship. Don't worry, ladies. I'm getting ready to hit the guys full force. Max Anders writes this. This does not mean that she submits to her husband in the same way or to the same degree as, as she does to the Lord, for the most part. Since the husband might ask her to disobey God, 
Rather, she serves the Lord by being a submissive, uh, by having a submissive heart towards her husband and by obeying him if it does not require her to disobey the Lord. So if your husband says to you, and I've had this happen through my years of pastoring, my husband says, I am not supposed to go to church. You know what my counsel was? Disobey your husband. I even had one lady who sat in our church, my very first one, long, long time ago. Um, she was talking to me about how bad her husband was. And I, and I was a young pastor. I was still learning to preach and think on my feet and all that kind of stuff. So this had to have come from God. I said, when was the last time you prayed for your husband? She was so busy being angry because she was in a relationship with an unbeliever that she forgot to pray for him. And uh, not only did he wind up getting saved, they wound up going into youth ministry. It's a perspective. We love. We, we do this relationship out of love. Verse 23 gives us the reason for verse 22. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself the Savior. Verse 24. Now as the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate in everything to their husbands, as long as it doesn't disobey a biblical mandate. So, that's the wife's job. Now the husband's. 25-27. Husbands, love your wives. Notice the wife is to submit as she does to the Lord. That's Christ. That's holy. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husband is actually a masculine form. And this word love is not agape. Many people think, well, that's, that's agape, self-sacrificing love. That's not what this word is. This is agapao in the Greek, agapao. It is a very unique word that the Apostle Paul uses. So if we read it this way, husbands, uniquely love your wives. And I'll get to this in just a second. As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He did. He went to the cross and died for the church. He died for you. He died for me. And that in itself is a sacrificial love. But the word that Paul uses here is unique. How unique is it? Well, let's look. It's a unique kind of love. I went back and traced this. Number one, it's not in the Old Testament. There is no Old Testament equal for this word love. Agapalo. It is also never found in the rabbinical teachings. The rabbis. It's not used. It's kind of strange because they're well, they mostly focus on the Old Testament. So it's not found in the rabbinical teachings. Also, when Paul wrote this, husbands love your wives, he also wrote this in a Greco-Roman culture. And by the way, 
It's not found in that culture either. So what kind of love is this? Gentlemen, listen to me. Every husband, every young man that eventually wants to be married, I want you to listen to me now. This word, agapao, is a demonstrated love. It is a love that is demonstrated. It's not a love that is sacrificial, although it can be, but not this word. Paul says, men, I want you to demonstrate. I want you to show the lost world, to show the community, to show your wife what love looks like. He gave us the paradigm, which was Christ going to the cross. Yes, in one sense, it is sacrificial, but in most senses, in this case, it is demonstrated. It's what we do, not what we say. It's how we respond to our wives in a way which reflects the same type of love that Christ has for you and for the church. Now, I don't know, this week was a lot... A lot of research, maybe too much. My mind's tired, but um, this demonstrated love. And, and you will know, men, I did these this week. So now I'm raising the bar. Men, when was the last time you cooked for your wife? I'm not trying to say, look at me, look at me, but I cooked all three meals yesterday. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. When was the last time you just spent time cooking for your wife? Because your wife, particularly in our culture, wives typically today, which is a relic from the past, was the woman stayed home. Those are rare now. But the wife works too outside the home, mostly. Not in all cases. I, I realize that. But what about spending... Well, this is a demonstrated type of love. Yeah, cooking meals is actually a, a, a time when you can, you can get together with your wife and you can maybe share stories about your day, whatever. This is a demonstrated type love. How about this, guys? How about spending time with your kids and giving your wife a break? How about taking control of your kids and let your wife have a girl's night out or uh, a, a girl's getaway or whatever? How about that? That's demonstrated love. And by the way, this was on a website, a Christian website, how husbands can demonstrate love for their wives. When, uh, when we were in the army, and I was stationed in Germany, even though I would be into the unit at 5 in the morning and I would get home 5.30 in the evening, 6 o'clock, whatever, I used to stop at, uh, particularly Fridays was longer, and then maybe Saturdays sometimes we had vehicles we had to get ready to go by Monday. But I used to stop at the PX. Do you remember that? used to stop at the PX before I came home and would buy Audrey a book. Just something I got into. Then on Saturdays, to give Audrey a break from being with 
Holly and Summer all week, I would take the girls on post and we would eat breakfast at the cafeteria on, on post. And I hope that that helped, uh, gave, gave her some sanity time from little girls. That's a demonstrated type love. Why don't you, hey, what about this? You got a young couple, maybe you're, you have grandkids, take the grandkids for a full day. Let the husband and wife have a free day together. That would be another way of demonstrating love for your kids and your grandkids. How about this? Again, I can't remember the website. I got this all from one website. But how about this? Just an unexpected gift. Not because you did something wrong. That's <laughs> uh, like one show I was watching. It said, boy, what did he do to have to give her that? No. Why, just give her a gift. It doesn't have to be expensive. It can just be something, a little something. Give her a gift. I think this is, this is a big one. And we, we sometimes think, well, that's not really demonstrated love. And I was kind of shocked when I read this. And I go, well, that may be right. Because the Bible says laughter is good medicine. Make her laugh. Our world is crazy. It's angry. I mean, just watching Tucker Carlson every day at lunch, you can see how angry the culture is. We need some laughter. We need some laughter. Why don't you spend time um, making your spouse laugh? Have fun. But that is also another way of demonstrating love. So, that's verse 25. Husbands, the mirror there is Christ's love for the church. And in a sense, yes, it is sacrificial, but in another sense, it is demonstrative. Take time this week. Why don't men, let me, let me challenge you. Take time this week to demonstrate love for your wife. Life is short. It really is short. And none of us in this room know how long we have. And so if we take every day, every moment, to demonstrate love for our spouses and wives uh, coming under the umbrella of the headship of the husband and husbands loving their wives, I don't see the problem. I don't see the problem. If the wife is voluntarily loving her husband, coming under his, his leadership, and the husband is at the same time loving the wife with an eye on demonstrating that love, I don't see the problem. There's not one reason why the church can't have strong marriages. But we also have the right perspective, and the right perspective is. And the other thing I want to say about this, real, real quick, is this, it's down here, and then I'm going to close. Um, Husbands, make it a habit of saying yes to your wife. Make it a habit of saying yes. 
there are very few times I tell Audrey no on something. Out of a hundred times, it might be half a point. Men, if you demonstrate your love for your wife, the wife will much easier be loving you the way she should be. Because ultimately, you're the head. And how did Christ love the church? He gave himself for it. He redeemed it. And if you go in there, you can read the rest of this. But I've spent all my time this, this, this morning. I hope that that has been helpful. I hope that you might have stirred some thoughts in your mind about your relationship to your wife, to your husband. Know that the Christian worldview is one man, one woman for life that form a new family unit that creates after its kind and which, and if you do it correctly, if you do it correctly, and I realize there's sometimes kids are going to vary, they're going to go off, but if you do it correctly, you will begin laying a heritage of Christian core values, not only in the church, but for a world that desperately needs to know him.